Hello and welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark. I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host here on these podcasts. Uh, Due to a technical failure, I'm afraid uh, we don't have the podcast episode uh, that I had recorded and planned to schedule for this week. I hope we're going to be able to redo that uh, and uh, have that episode in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, That's an episode uh, introducing our latest Church Society book. Uh, But instead of that, uh, what we have is an excerpt from one of the sessions at last week's Fellowship of Word and Spirit conference. It was a great conference, um, some really interesting sessions, uh, and I hope to see uh, one or two more podcasts bringing together some of the different material uh, from those talks. Tim Ward, who spoke about uh, theological interpretation of Scripture and the Reformed doctrine of Scripture, and then Bible readings uh, from Dick Farr. And we're going to hear from one of those uh, in this podcast. Uh, Dick was speaking to us uh, from three of the letters to the churches that come near the beginning of the book of Revelation. And this excerpt is taken uh, from his session on the letter to the church at Thyatira. Um, And really, it's uh, um, an exposition uh, of that passage, but with a particular focus helping us to think through uh, what it means for us to be tolerant and intolerant. Um, We know that tolerance is a huge deal in society at the moment. It is one of the British values that the government uh, think it's important for schools to be teaching our children. Uh, But there are some really serious issues to consider what it means for us to be rightly tolerant and rightly intolerant. So I hope you'll enjoy. This is uh, not the whole of Dick's talk. You'll be able to listen to that uh, from the Church Society website in due course. Uh, But this is just an excerpt uh, of what he talked about, helping us to think through some of those issues, really where the rubber hits the road, not just with respect to society, uh, but in our churches and in our own lives. In a Department of Education document from a year or two ago, we read this. Schools should promote the fundamental British values of democracy, the rule of law, individual liberty and mutual respect, and tolerance of those with different faiths and beliefs. And we know from our own experience, we know from uh, all over the place, tolerance is a fundamental British value. On the uh, radio breakfast programme I listened to yesterday, there was conversation about uh, Google and Facebook and whether or not they should be removing various images and uh, content, but uh, does that restrict the right to freedom of speech on their platforms? There was obviously also discussion around the jihadi bride from uh, Bethnal Green. Should she be allowed back into the country or not? How does a tolerant society deal with such an intolerant regime and its adherence. Uh, if you're a, a regular reader of the week, you may have noticed this in the current edition. Uh, students at Somerville College, Oxford, set out to, quote, ensure that different groups of people can eat in Hall more. That was what they were working on, OK? They voted against kosher meat because of mechanical stunning of animals being banned in Judaism. Quote, Religious thoughts were put aside for the sakes of animal welfare, quite rightly, 
said the JCR statement. What are the boundaries of tolerance? How far does tolerance go? Should we defend the rights of those who speak racist and homophobic language? Should we protect those on our campuses who feel the need for safe spaces? How far am I allowed to be fair and objected towards those I disagree with and with their ideas? To what extent can I challenge views that I disagree with? If you cast your mind back a few years, you may remember that when Tim Farron was uh, up for election to be leader of the Liberal Democrats, various interesting questions were posed, weren't they? Is he liberal enough to lead a party committed to equal marriage? Are the Liberal Democrats liberal enough to tolerate a leader whose views seem to conflict with where their party sits? And obviously we're aware of the, the sadness of what happened uh, over that last election. The, uh, the tolerance paradox has been described in these words. The tolerance paradox arises from the problem that a tolerant person is antagonistic towards intolerance, hence intolerant of it. The tolerant individual is by definition intolerant of intolerance, but in so being must be intolerant of himself. <laughs> the intolerance of tolerance. So, the church at Thyatira. Their problem is they are too tolerant. Is that possible? Does Jesus, the Lord of the church, wish us to be intolerant? And if so, how and about what? And how do we serve him in an age which has placed tolerance as a fundamental British value? Now, Thyatira was probably the least important of the seven churches. It's assumed it was fairly prosperous because of where it stood in terms of the, the road network and in a fertile valley. Uh, Paul Barnett speculates, I guess, that uh, it had trade guilds and associations and sports clubs and all the rest of it, the meetings of which would involve some sort of uh, cultic activity. Now, of course, in the New Testament, we know it as the hometown of uh, Lydia in Acts 16. So, was it a particularly difficult place for Christians to be Christian? Well, let's uh, discover. Let's look on and see what we learn. Uh, verse, 19 verse 19 tells us that here is a good church. I know your deeds, your love and faith your service and perseverance, and that you're now doing more than you did at first. Now, there's a bit of an echo of what we heard yesterday from Ephesus here, isn't there? But they don't seem to have the fatal flaw that Ephesus had. They continue in good works 
and love. And it appears that they have kept growing in these areas more than you did at first. They've also kept going. Patient endurance means that they've endured. They've kept going in their service and their love and their works. So whatever the opposition was, however tough things were, they hadn't retreated. They hadn't sort of battened down the hatches and uh, just sought to survive. They'd sought to grow and do more. So they haven't lost their first love like Ephesus. They're not in danger of losing their faith like those at uh, Pergamum, like those at uh, Smyrna and Philadelphia. They go on, they have gone on through tough and difficult times. Faith and hope and love are here. They continue to move forward. They're not resting on their laurels, glorying in their reputation like Sardis, and nor are they dead like Laodicea. Once again, we might want to go, yes, this is a great church. I'd love to be part of this church. Yes, I'd be quite happy to be known as the leader of this church. But of course... As with most of the New Testament churches, this church too is in a mess. It's struggling. And I don't know about you, but I find that one of the real encouragements of the New Testament and of these chapters. The church has always been in a mess. There have always been crises and threats that we faced. And yet God is faithful to his gospel and to his word. He's faithful to those who stick with that and therefore he will see us through. And therefore, gospel light is alive and remains in the world today. Because as we saw from chapter 1 yesterday, Jesus is with those churches and he holds those churches safe and secure in his hands. The church at Thyatira is a good church, but, verse 20, it's a too tolerant church. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Their error is to allow false teaching to go on, unchecked and apparently unchallenged, uncriticised. Now, exactly what the relationship was between Jezebel and her adherents and the church in Thyatira isn't quite clear, is it? Are they part of the church? Had they been part of the church? Are they something else that's going on in the town, but influencing some within the church, attracting others to it? What we do know is that within these churches, there was a lot of falsehood going on. 2 verse 2, there were false apostles. 2 9 and 3 9, there are people falsely claiming to be Jews. And here there is a false prophet. Discernment, as we saw yesterday, is required in these days. Now, verse 20 tells us that she is called Jezebel. Now, it may be mum and dad had christened her Jezebel. Quite possible. <laughs> but, more likely probably, She's been given the name Jezebel because of the effect she is having on the people of God in Thyatira. Jezebel, wife of Ahab in the Old Testament, 
introduced pagan practice, idolatry and sexual immorality to the life of the people of Israel. Israel was seduced into her way of thinking and to in a way of life that was contrary to what was expected of them. And so this sums up, the name sums up the danger that she is posing to the church in Thyatira. Now, whether the sexual immorality and the adultery were part of the cult, whether they were part of a a lax moral code that uh, was being taught or encouraged, or they may be simply a figurative way of talking about the spiritual response of the church. That sort of language is used in the Old Testament of Israel, isn't it? Listen to this from uh, Jeremiah chapter 3. During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She's gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. I thought after she had done all this, she would return to me, but she did not. And her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. I gave faith at Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Yet I saw her her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. Because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and woods. So, is the adultery and the immorality actual adultery immorality, or is it understood in spiritual terms? I think I think the immorality is actual. I think the adultery is the spiritual <coughs> element. Now, interestingly, the outcome of this teaching seems to be much the same as what was going on in Pergamon, which obviously was very close by. Look at verse uh, 14. The teaching there of Balaam is enticing people to sacrifice to idols and commit sexual immorality. It's much the same. But it does seem to be different from that of the Nicolaitans, which is mentioned separately. The comment in verse 24 about the deep secrets of Satan, the the so-called deep things. I mean, that suggests some sort of entry into an occultic, secret, spiritual realm. Paul Barnett thinks that's to do with the initiation rites into some of these guilds or clubs or associations. Whereas Michael Wilcock, interestingly, he points to the lowering of moral standards that quite often accompany spiritual revivals. Now, one of the things we can't help but notice here is the way in which Jesus points out different levels of involvement and engagement. Clearly, at the 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 top of the pile is Jezebel herself. She is a prophet, and by her teaching, she misleads my servants. Then in verse 23, there are her children, presumably those who continue the family line and the family likeness in their behaviour and in their teaching. Verse 22, there are those who commit adultery with her, those who have embraced the cult and her teaching and her behaviour for all their worth. And then there are those who are misled 
There are those who take part in our activities, maybe, but haven't bought into the whole thing. And then, of course, there are those who tolerate her and what's going on. And it's important that we just recognise those different levels of involvement and engagement. Because as we look at our own situation and try and see who is in which of those categories, that's going to determine how we respond to them and how we behave towards them and what we <coughs> expect of them. Why was the church at Thyatira open and vulnerable <coughs> to this teaching? Well, one possible suggestion is if you look at the end of verse 19, it's this idea of, of the growth the more than you did at first point. Things are on the up in the church at Thyatira. And therefore people don't want to risk damaging or hindering that growth by appearing to be too doctrinaire, too difficult, too restrictive about things and about people. And maybe that was the ground in which these poisonous seeds... <coughs> found fertile soil. So we might imagine that converts still have friends and family who are not converted, involved in what's going on in the town, may be involved with Jezebel. And because you want your friends and family to, uh, to come to Christ and join you in the church, <coughs> you're saying to your leadership, look, please don't be too harsh, don't be so critical. You're just being so negative all the time. There's got to be a way open for these people. Maybe we're not quite as far apart as uh, you're suggesting we are. Surely it must be okay for me to go to some of their meetings and join in some of their rites and rituals because I want them to come to mine. And, and they can't help hurt me, can they? Because I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm okay. And we hear similar arguments today, don't we? And I have a measure of sympathy... <coughs> with those who say we need to lower some of our standards in order not to put off outsiders, in order to embrace outsiders, in order to make it easier for them to hear the gospel and come to Christ. I have some sympathy with that, but I still think they're wrong. And partly... Because I remember what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. When the church is most different from the world, she invariably attracts it. That is terrifically helpful in an intolerant... Uh, in intolerant that's terrifically helpful in a tolerant uh, age, isn't it? Tolerance can affect us when we're helping folk to come to Christ, maybe in an individual conversation? When do we raise the issue of the fact that they're living with a boyfriend or <coughs> girlfriend? How late in the process do we leave that conversation because we don't want to scare them off? I can think of a, a young professional footballer who came to Christ... He was uh, sharing a house that they bought with his girlfriend. The guy who discipled him said that relationship needs to uh, stop. So for a while, 
they tried sleeping in separate bedrooms in the same house, but we understand human nature, we know that couldn't possibly work. So he bought her out. He bought the house, and, uh, and the relationship was over. That was a terrific example of following through. A very good example of making sure that standards weren't lowered for the sake of the gospel. So, for the sake of mission, for the sake of the outsider, whereas the temptation will be to drop the fences to make it easier for people to come in, it's something we need to resist. Now, exactly the whens and the wheres and the hows and the wherefores, we might want to talk about later. Uh, an area in which uh, we face this as an issue uh, within the, uh, the trust and helping parishes think through what's required for the whole succession process and writing parish profiles and all that sort of thing is around the way in which we talk about or encourage them to talk about their next incumbent, the incumbent that they're looking for. And it's easy to say, look, we want the person to believe in <coughs> the sanctity of marriage, to, to believe and hold to what the Bible teaches about uh, marriage and sexual relationships. But the clergy amongst us will know that there are plenty of people who say they believe those things, but you will never hear them teach those things. So we encourage people in their profiles to say, believe, live by, and teach. Because it's at that teaching point that the rubber hits the road. What have you done? Is it evident that you have taught the sanctity of marriage? You've taught about the realities of sexual immorality. Have you taken on those challenges? Now, of course, we all have favourites, don't we? We have people we like and get on with more than we like and get on with others. And I wonder if we are as expectant of them as we are of other people. Other people who we just let get away with things a bit more because we like them. We're much likely to be more relaxed about the way in which the people we like are behaving than others. And of course, that's a double standard that is often levelled at us as an accusation when it comes to the things we are happy to be taunted about and the things we don't want to be taunted about. I'm sure, as with some of the other clergy, you've sat in chapter meetings and you've been told that when it comes to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you are very picky and very choosy. Of those who don't inherit the kingdom of God, Paul says... Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will enter the kingdom of God. And the accusation is that I am nothing like as rigorous with the swindlers, the slanderers, the drunkards, the greedy, the thieves, as with those who are sexual transgressors. 
And I guess I'd have to say, over the years, that's probably been true. Tolerance is very slippery, isn't it? And it challenges us and it trips us up in different places, at different times, and with different people. I hope you enjoyed that and found it as challenging uh, as I certainly did uh, listening to it at the conference. We, as I say, we had a great time at the Fellowship uh, of Word and Spirit conference and all the audio recordings from that will be available from our website shortly. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoy it. Uh, if you enjoy it, I hope you uh, will consider sharing it with other people. Uh, you can share the link from the Church Society website or to individual episodes. You can subscribe if you're on iTunes or some other podcast app. And if you do listen to us via an app, please do consider giving us a rating. It really helps other people find content that they also might find helpful and interesting. As always, if you have any comments, feedback or suggestions for the podcast, do get in touch. You can leave a comment on our Facebook page. You can tweet us at Church Society or you can email me, ros at churchsociety.org. Thanks so much for listening and do tune in again next week.